Continuing in a series of homilies on the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, we come now to chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you are at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made us both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. Holy God, we have gathered in worship, bringing with us our divided hearts, if not broken hearts, asking that a word from you will bind us back together in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. As I was preparing this homily, I consulted a very old commentary on the letter to the Ephesians that was written by John Mackay, the third president of our seminary. It's a very thoughtful piece of scholarship, and frankly, I was more than a little intimidated to think that he wrote this book in the same house where I was reading it. I could almost hear his voice whispering through my bookshelves saying, Come on, Craig, if I can write a book on this, you can come up with one homily. <laughs> he interestingly began his commentary on this text by saying that from the time human beings first started walking the earth, there has been what he called a great rift. This great rift has divided humans from God and humans from each other and it has even divided the human heart. 
He then depicted the ways historically that humans have tried on their own to repair this rift. The first was what he called the ways of wisdom. And he traced the Greek philosopher's pursuit of a universal truth, the Enlightenment philosopher's pursuit of a rationality that was self-evident to all. He traced the rise of the modern democratic nation states and the promises of science and technology. But he said none of them had been able to bind the broken world back together. His second effort that he traced historically was what he called the ways of power, which inevitably reduced to empire building. We may speak about things like Pax Romana, but the legacy of all empires is that they leave the world even more torn apart. Then at the end of this historical exegesis, he turns finally to the text and joins the Apostle Paul in saying that the divided world can only be healed by its creator who has come to us in Christ. There's that phrase again. We've noticed that in the last two homilies. Paul's great devotion to the phrase, in Christ. In Christ we are made fully alive. In Christ, all things hold together. Mackay says, let at least the church believe this. And let us demonstrate this. In our refusal to settle for a church with rifts. And in our commitment to follow Christ's mission in healing a divided world. In Christ, Paul writes, You have been built into the household of God, which includes Jews and Greeks. In other words, people who are like you and people who are not. In Christ, you have been built into the very dwelling place of God, a place that has no dividing walls that separate us and create strangers. I don't know very much about construction, but I have learned about load-bearing walls. Anytime in one of the houses that I've owned, I've tried to do a little remodeling, I found a wall that was in the way of what I wanted to do and would ask the contractor, can't we get rid of that? And he would say, no, that's a load-bearing wall. If you want to keep the roof up, you got to keep that wall there. So load-bearing walls inevitably become dividing walls. But what Paul is saying in our text today is that the church is a very unique structure that has no dividing walls. That's because Jesus Christ bears the load. Now, as history has proven, we can easily throw up a few dividing walls inside the church. These walls inevitably separate and create strangers, but we find comfort behind them. So we like dividing walls. All the liberals over here, all the conservatives over here, the people who are righteous up close, the sinners off on the margins, the people who are like us very close, and those who are not, let's keep as strangers over there. Let's refer to them as them and not us. 
This is not the way Christ built the church. And these dividing walls can come down any time we are ready to repent of our sin of dividing his body. The church cannot be fully alive in Christ and have any strangers within it. Now, religious institutions don't intend on creating strangers. What they intend on doing is protecting holiness, or at least their idea of holiness. We all have some cherished idea of the holy. Maybe it comes from a religious experience you had that transformed your life. Or maybe your idea of the holy came from years and years of your life that were given over to studying theology. Or maybe your idea of the holy comes from an inherited tradition that has given you a sense of identity and place in the world. Whatever it is, we, we cherish it to the point that we want to protect it, and that's why we build a wall around it so no one can take this from us. And as soon as you've done that, you've created a stranger. So it has always been. The great temple to Artemis in Ephesus had walls on it that kept the Greeks in and the Jews out. And the temple in Jerusalem also had walls that kept the Jews in and the Greeks out. And they had interior walls that kept women separated from men, it kept the outer courts separated from the inner courts, and it had a great, great veil that separated the holy of holies, protecting the sacred from the profane. But all that these walls have ever really done is create strangers. Greeks, strangers to the worship of Jews, Jews, strangers to the worship of Greeks, and all of us, strangers to holiness. God wouldn't put up with this. So at the atonement of Christ on the cross, that veil was ripped from top to bottom as if God did it, so that the holiness that we tried to protect and contain could rush out into every broken part of the world, including every broken heart, including your broken heart. And in Christ, it's all made holy again. You cannot protect holiness and be true to God's own idea of the holy. We live in a society that has long been worried about strangers. But as a pastor, I learned long ago that the stranger we fear the most is the one that lurks in our own heart. That's why we divide our hearts, so that at least part of them contain what we are proud of, that which is righteous and compassionate and giving. We try to keep that from the other part, the other compartment that is where the habitual sinner lives, or that which is frightening and dangerous. 
Have you ever found yourself saying something that was so mean and absolutely devastating to someone that you truly love? Maybe you're even horrified as the words come out of your own mouth, and you wonder, where did that come from? It came from the stranger that you created when you divided your heart between the sacred and the profane. You can try to ignore this stranger in your heart if you want to, but it's not going to go away. In fact, by ignoring it is the best way to allow it to grow strong until it breaks out and consumes you and those around you. Be clear, you cannot contain the evil that remains in your heart. But we futilely try. We try to compartmentalize the guilt of our sin from the profession of our faith. We compartmentalize the person we know ourselves to be from the person others expect us to be or the hurts of our past from the relationships of today. What we want with these compartments, these divisions, again, is is to protect the part of us that, that is still holy. But the only way to live a truly integrated life, which, by the way, is how we get to the word integrity, the only way to truly have an integrated life is to allow Christ to destroy these dividing walls and to be the redeemer for all of you. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that the part of you that you fear the most is inevitably going to be projected onto the stranger around you. This is one of the reasons that the church and the world is so divided because we each fear the evil that remains in our own hearts. And it's so much easier to work on that in somebody else. Until you make peace with the stranger within you, you will never be able to make peace to the stranger around you. So for the sake of the divided church and the divided world, let us know what it means to be fully, fully alive in Christ. It all has to be surrendered to be fully alive, all of it. God doesn't just love the part of you that is already holy. Jesus wasn't dying just to save the part of you that's already righteous. The loving salvation of God has to embrace all of you, the good and the bad, the the holy and the profane. It's the only way you can be made fully alive. And that's the only way you can be of use to Christ's mission in our broken and divided world. Echoing Dr. Mackay's words, let us at least in this seminary community be clear that there are no strangers. In Christ, you belong here.
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.